This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the best of First Up for Monday the 14th of June called Katrina Bat and Aho. In the pod today, a recruiter wants more grunty part-time work to suit mums. The government announces a subsidy for those wanting to buy an electric vehicle. National's transport spokesperson Michael Woodhouse is not so keen. And a petition against a film about the Christchurch terrorist attacks gathers more than 50,000 signatures. But first, enchanted objects, a mysterious castle, a hideous beast and a kind-hearted maiden forced to be his wife. Yes, it's the classic musical Beauty and the Beast, which is set to be performed by the National Youth Theatre from this Friday. As you can imagine, putting together costumes for a musical of this magnitude is no easy task. Our reporter Ella Stewart caught up with the cast and crew on their costume fitting day to see the work involved and to find out how they're all feeling ahead of opening night. All right, welcome to costume day. So today's a little hectic, okay? There's a lot going on, as you can see. We've got all these costumes over here. We've already had team red and team yellow this morning, which is grand, and it's all looking fantastic, okay? So what's gonna happen today is... With less than one week to go before the curtains open and the lights go on, cast and crew of the National Youth Theatre are making sure everything fits. The cast of around 220 students, aged seven to 21, each have an individual costume sourced and made just for them. Costume designer and head of wardrobe Deb Thurl has been working in the industry for over 25 years and this is her fifth show with the company. She knows her stuff. The wardrobe, Lumiere with his candelabra hands, Cogsworth, the clock, who wears a clock. So there's quite a few more creative think outside the square costumes as well as the classic beast, the classic bell. Wardrobe will be a big wardrobe. The logistical part that's difficult is one of the wardrobe doors has to open and the costume comes out. Lumiere will have lighted candles, not real candles, electric ones, and Cogsworth will have a wall clock attached to his chest. We'll have a whole lot of enchanted objects, so teacups, graters, plates and a whole lot of cutlery. There'll be 90 pieces of cutlery. She says as soon as the cast put on their costumes, the show starts to feel real. They get really excited. For them, it's a moment of the show actually becoming a theatre production rather than an activity they do on Sundays. It really brings it all together and brings life to it, especially when they see some of the lead costumes they've been able to see today. Costumes really lend themselves to the personalities that they're trying to portray. Some are quite characterful the costumes and that brings out the character and the kids that they need. It took countless hours designing, sourcing material and stitching together all the costumes you see on stage. I have a huge team of volunteers numbering about 15 to 20 who I send out work to plus we have a lot of volunteers who come to the rehearsals who will give their time willingly so we can actually have 30 volunteer hours in a Sunday actually just getting through a lot of the stuff so it's the big shout out to them. And although Deb has artistic license she says she stuck pretty closely to the traditional designs that are seen in the classic 1991 Disney movie. With something like Beauty and the Beast you don't want to stray too far from what people expect. If Belle didn't have a yellow dress then there'd be letters written. (laughs) So with that in mind you have to think well What's the bell dress that people do expect and what's my interpretation and what's my spin on it? 
and and I with the beast it's looking for the textures that I like or an amazing lace I want to use and how can I incorporate that. Cole Johnston is the programme director and works closely with the cast to ensure they all know what they're doing on stage. The great thing with the show as well is we get to kind of take a step back in time where the show's set so they get to see um, you know like the dresses that they're wearing that wouldn't usually be seen in today's day and age so yeah they're definitely excited and I think the colours as well have all excited them a lot so they're all pretty happy it's great to see them excited about it. He says costumes are hugely important to the overall experience. It's interesting to see how how much a costume really shows a character like when people put a costume on as you were saying like they really embody the character differently but yeah I guess the overall visual aspect of a show you know once you get all the costumes and and the lights as well reflecting off those costumes it just brightens everything up and it sets the tone really so having such it for this first number as well with you know things like Be Our Guest which is massive all the colours and stuff plays such a massive part of that to really light the room so yeah a big part. Cole started out as a cast member in the company and has performed on some of the country's biggest stages before becoming a member of staff. He says his time as a cast member has informed how he works with the kids. Having been in the cast and having done um, the same things that the kids are doing and knowing how they're feeling and stuff, so it's, it's been really nice and it's been great to be able to relate to them as well. I just feel really lucky, to be honest. Charlotte McLaughlin and Alex Gordon play Belle and the Beast. They both felt ecstatic when they were able to put on their costumes. I felt like a Disney princess. It was great. I felt like, well, I felt puffy, for, 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 for one, because it was a massive dress, but I felt just it made it even more real and like even more exciting because I was like, wow, okay, like can put the costume on, like I feel like Belle, and it was just really exciting, yeah. And how did you feel when you put your first costume on? It definitely helps get into the physicality of the character because a lot of the Beast costumes are very big and bulky, especially in the shoulders. The shoulders are often like quite big and like pretty much all of the upper body of the costume is very built up because there's multiple layers. It definitely helps fill out the role. Beauty and the Beast is set to grace the Aotea Centre stage this Friday, but you'll have to get in quick because there are only four shows. And you can buy tickets for the National Youth Theatre's production of Beauty and the Beast and stay up to date with their latest news at nyt.co.nz. And you can also watch Ella's video of that story on our Facebook page. A recruiter says she wants to see more employers offering women grunty part-time jobs, including management positions. Official figures show that in the March quarter, the number of women in casual, fixed-term or temporary roles was up almost 4.5% on a year earlier. But many women want a job that's more secure. Our social issues reporter Sarah Robson spoke to Claire Russell, the director of Recruit Mum, an employment agency specialising in getting mothers into part-time work. When I certainly started Recruit Mum, and what I would have wanted as a mum and, and still do want really is that stability and security when women have to do the fundamental childcare responsibility. They're having to manage childcare hours as well as work, so temp and casual and contract work that's less stable doesn't really lean into stable childcare hours so yeah certainly finding permanence and work and stability I think is always the number one priority but I think in the world we're finding ourselves now and that we do have the ability to take out work with us work from home work remotely and have all the digital technology behind that to help manage that process That's a good thing, uh, certainly for those women who have permanent roles that they can do that for, obviously hospitality and again, 
tourism and health industries won't be able to do that because of obviously the customer facing interaction of that of that industry. So yeah, I think the more women working in a remote way is is a good thing. And I guess the the type of jobs you're getting women into at the moment, what are you seeing out there? Is it sort of offers of permanent part time or is it more casual fixed term contract stuff? The most recent two recruitments I've worked on have actually been independent contracting roles. So they are not employed as a permanent employee. So this would be someone who would be invoicing their time, managing their expenses and essentially working as a consultant for the business. So I did a 12-month independent contractor role in April and working on one currently now. So certainly that may be the start of something more that we might see across industry. However, prior to that, it was mainly yeah, permanent or longer-term roles, uh, six-month minimum contracts. I wouldn't really look at anything less than six months from the needs of a, uh, a mum point of view. Yeah. And I guess, are there are there jobs out there that fit, I guess, that criteria? Probably not enough by far, not enough. I think most of my talent is in, is in the administrative and business support space with a little bit in sort of across accounting, marketing and I guess engineering and construction too, which is a more of a strategic growth area for me and recruitment. So certainly wanting to see more organisations offer more grunty part-time roles, so management roles in part-time, even a general manager as a part-time role. And certainly I've seen a couple of job listings in that space and those roles that are part-time. So it can be done. That was Claire Russell from the employment agency Recruit Mum. The government is offering people thousands of dollars cash back if they buy an electric vehicle in a rebate scheme announced on Sunday. The scheme will be funded through levies on high emission vehicles from the 1st of January 2022. Transport Minister Michael Wood says the clean car discount will prevent up to 9 million tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions and will help fund with the upfront cost of switching from petrol-run vehicles. But it's been met with vigorous opposition from the National and ACT parties who say it's a tax by stealth that will hit working people. Our host Nathan Radade spoke with the National Party's transport spokesperson Michael Woodhouse. Hey, do you accept that New Zealand vehicle, uh, New Zealand's vehicle fleet needs to go electric? Absolutely, and for incentivising uh, that transition, I think uh, there's merit in, in the subsidies. But we don't support the taxing of tradies, farmers and large families in order to be able to pay for the subsidy. We think that's quite wrong. So how does, how does it feel like a tax on these people then? Well, their car prices are going to go up. Uh, we currently have probably record numbers of uh, light commercial vehicles coming into the uh, fleet uh, for people like farmers and tradies. Uh, those prices are going to go up by uh, over $3,000. Now, for low-income New Zealanders and large families, um, that's also going to be an effect because there are no EVs and hybrids that would suit their needs or that they can afford. But the prices of those vehicles are also going to go up, and we think it's uh, it's a bad policy. It's a tax. So it, it's going to be very hard to get a uh, someone selling a car to just instantly drop the price. So do you would you be in favour of more of a subsidy? Well, on EVs, you mean? Yes. 
Look, I'm not sure that the incentive is actually going to change the mind of somebody who uh, was uh, looking for a new vehicle. But remember, you're talking about uh, $70,000. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that there's too many people who are able to go out and purchase a $70,000 car, even if there is an $8,000 subsidy on it. In the meantime, we're going to have a large number of New Zealanders that uh, need to purchase vehicles that will still be petrol for the foreseeable future because of their uh, geography, where they live, what work they do and how big their families are, and they're going to have to pay more. Do you think, though, that that price might come down as we go further in the future? And, you know, this is I'm, I'm just thinking, I only know fourth-form economic supply and demand. As there's more, more supply, won't the price drop on those? Well, let's start with supply because... Uh, there's no doubt that uh, as the uh, stock of EVs uh, goes up, the price point will come down. The minister actually said that yesterday. And in terms of whole-of-life cost, it's going to approach parity in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so the market will respond to that. The large uh, vehicle manufacturers have said that they're going to be transitioning to EVs as quickly as they possibly can. But punishing people along the way who aren't able to afford or don't have a model that they can buy is... Uh, not good policy. It's so, a tax. So what's your solution for those people then right now? For those that want to buy EVs, I think the uh, incentive is fine. There could have been other things they could have done in respect of uh, fringe benefit tax, for example. But don't punish people along the way would be my advice. Uh, it's also important to keep in mind that the likelihood is that the second-hand petrol car market will also respond to that price point. And so even if you're not buying an imported vehicle, it may be that the price of those cars goes up. We say don't do that. Um, incentivise EVs? Absolutely but don't punish people who can't pay. Mm. So would a national government, um, would, would it scrap the clean car discount package then? Not necessarily the clean car discount package, but we would certainly not be imposing a tax on those people who can't afford or can't use those vehicles. That's Nationals Transport spokesperson Michael Woodhouse. A petition calling for a Hollywood film about the Christchurch mosque attacks to be shut down has now gathered close to 60,000 signatures. The film They Are Us has gathered strong criticism because it appears to centre on Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in the aftermath of the attacks rather than of the victims themselves. She's set to be played by Australian actor Rose Byrne. Family members of some of those killed in the attacks have called for the film's producers to pull the plug on the project, which they say is being done without proper consultation with the people affected. National Islamic Youth Association co-chair Sondas Karan was one of the people who started the petition. She spoke with our producer Matthew Tunison and started by explaining her connection to what happened on the 15th of March 2019. So I am from Christchurch. I was raised here from a very young age. I moved here when I was three years old and I've called uh, the Muslim community in Christchurch my family for as long as I can remember. I grew up in Anur Mosque and many of the members of the community that were injured and uh, martyred in the attacks were people I consider brothers and sisters and fathers. And it's an honor to be able to speak in their name in general, but also to advocate on the rights of our community. So very, very close to your heart. Tell me why the idea of this film is upsetting to you or why you feel it's inappropriate? I think the 
purpose of the petition and the reason that we've seen an outpouring of people condemning uh, this film being created is because it sensationalizes March 15th, uh, which is still so raw two years on, and it capitalizes on the lived experiences of Muslims living in Aotearoa. Our experiences of Islamophobia existed well before March 15th, but were amplified on that day, given the terror and horror that we experienced. And if you speak to any Muslim living in New Zealand or anywhere in the globe, we all have our experiences with Islamophobia, racism and discrimination. And that's something that people of color generally and indigenous Maori and Pacifica also experience. And to have a story being told about the attack that happened upon Muslims and not even center Muslim voices, it's insensitive. Any story that is to be told about March 15th should be told through the lens of the Muslim community and capture the lived experiences of racism, discrimination and Islamophobia that Muslims face globally. And the fact as well that it's being made by a Hollywood company and, you know, overseas actors, does that sort of grate as well a bit? Well, I think... I reflect on the Norway movie when we think of, you know, movies that are created about uh, terror attacks such as March 15th. Uh, the Norway movie, which featured the story of the 77, I believe 77 people that were murdered by a white supremacist on a young youth labor retreat. And that movie, I watched it myself and it's, it's profound and it's insightful and it centers the voices of the victims. And even if you look into the movie, the victims themselves, they wanted this movie to happen and they were in constant consultation when this movie was being created. And it centered the experience of a young boy and his family and his survival of the attack. And it goes through his trauma and how he dealt with it and how he faced the terrorists that could have killed him and killed many of his friends. And I think if, if Hollywood was even considering making a movie like this, then they should have learned from the Norway movie, which really did make an impact on, on myself, being from Christchurch and having experienced March 15th, you know, on a ground level. Now, the Prime Minister has tried to distance herself from this film, but as far as I'm aware, hasn't come out and flat out condemned it. Is that something you think that she should do? I think the statement that Jacinda made was definitely a step in the right direction. And even today, I was reading the mayor, Leanne Dalzell, highlighted her outrage at the movie and that it would not be welcome in Christchurch. And for us as NIA, a young Muslim youth organization, we're going to continue the conversation and keep the momentum going and continue to ask for government support and ensuring that this movie doesn't happen. And if they do try to make it happen, that New Zealand creators and film experts and skilled people in this area in general do not provide their skills or their capabilities or their time uh, to this platform. And given the chances that this movie may happen, we ask that the New Zealand public doesn't support it. I believe Jack Tame the other day in an article said, "Don't I'm not giving my $21 to this film. And we ask that everyone do the same. Mm. And, I mean, 45,000 signatures as of Sunday on, on this petition is quite, quite remarkable. And I know it's not only New Zealand's Muslim community which wants this film shut down. There seems to be pretty widespread support. Yeah, it's, 
Honestly, I've been amazed at the outpouring of support. I've been reading the messages that we've been receiving on Nia's personal Facebook and Instagram and on the petition itself. And it's so incredible to see such moments of solidarity from the New Zealand community. We saw that during the March 15th period, and we've continued to see it. And um, on behalf of Nia, we just want to thank anyone and everyone that has supported us, signed the petition, shared it. It truly means a lot. And it's a reflection of the fact that, you know, Muslims are New Zealanders and we're here to stay. And um, we're very proud of that. That was National Islamic Youth Association co-chair Sondas Karan. First up has contacted three of the film's four producers, the ones we could find contact details for, and has not received a response. New Zealand-based producer Philippa Campbell said she was not in a position to comment. Thanks for listening to The Best of First Up. Matewa.